listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So this Advent season, we have talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we've talked about joy, and today we're talking about love kind of lighting those candles around uh, Advent and the whole anticipation and the expectation of this season. Advent is a time not unlike Mary, who was expecting the birth of her firstborn. We also kind of expect that coming of Christ. Of course, as Christians, we live after the time of the coming of Christ, but we still expect a coming of Christ, right? We expect his second coming, but we also expect Christ to kind of eternally be present to us again and again and again, and for that we are grateful. So this, this season of Advent, as we've been uh, hoping, as we've been peacemaking, as we've been joyful, and as we have been loving, uh, we have been practicing it by saying, um, we titled the series, Coming Home. Because not only are we expecting Christ to come to his home, right, the earth that he made and is making new again and again, but he want, we, want to, we want Christ to come at home in our hearts. That's what we learned in our, in our, when we were children, right, that Christ dwells in our hearts. Uh, one theologian said it this way, there's no place that God would rather be, that your soul is heaven to God. That's why he resides there. Like, he loves us so, right? He loves us more than we love ourselves. He knows us in ways that we don't know ourselves, and yet he still loves us, which is, which is beautiful. So one of the main ideas of our Advent season in this coming home is we've titled it Coming or Becoming, uh, Becoming Hope and Becoming uh, Peace and Becoming Joy and then today Becoming Love. Because the idea of this is not only is Christ coming and Christ bringing all those things to us, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love, but he's also making us into those things so that we can be those things for others. So we've tried a little bit of an experiment. Uh, Those of you who have been here over the last few weeks, we've opened with a confession. Not a confession of sins, but a confession of faith. But it's one that's maybe a little unexpected. Uh, The first week, uh, we confessed together that I am a mother of God. If that sounds bizarre to you, uh, that's how it was intended to, and you need to go back and listen to the podcast, because I'm not going to re-preach that sermon today. Uh, On the second week, uh, we talked about peace. We confessed that Christ is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, Last week, we confessed that the joy of the Lord is your weakness. And so today's confession, and I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to have you repeat after me, is this. The love of God is useless. All right, you ready? Say it with gusto. The love of God is useless. It's almost hard to say, isn't it? We have to nuance that. Uh, Although, of course, you don't have to nuance it any more than saying I'm the mother of God, I guess. But let's, let's nuance what we mean by saying the love of God is useless. Here's here's the problem with what we often think about love. We think about love as though it's something kind of external to God. But but John will tell us that God is love. 
Love isn't external to God. Love has always been. It's one of those few things that could have always been because God is love. The Father has always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Father. And the Spirit of the Father and, and Son's love with one another we call the Holy Spirit. And it's what, what the Old Testament called Yahweh, right, I am. The New Testament calls Father, Son, and Spirit. And later in church tradition, we would call it the Trinity, right? That we believe in God the Father Almighty. This is part of the confession of the creed. And in the, Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Spirit, right? Those three sections of the, of the creed kind of represent uh, those three confessions, our belief about the one kind of true God. So God, God is love. Uh, St. Anthony um, would say, uh, I no longer fear God, but love him. And even, even that confession sounds a, a little bizarre, maybe, to our ears. Um, last, what, what is this? Let me see, where am I? <laughs> no, when am I? I guess it was last spring. I was teaching a course on the book of Acts, and I tried to say to a group of 40, you know, uh, early 20-somethings that... Um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not its end. That, that St. Anthony's right, that eventually the love of God overcomes all fear. And they resisted it. They're like, well, he's not really meaning that. They thought I was doing one of these, you know, Meister Eckhart confessions that, that make people uncomfortable. But I wasn't. I was just trying to be straightforward with them. Uh, there, there, there was no coercion or manipulation I was trying to tell them, as John tells us again, that perfect love cast out all fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. The fear of the Lord might be the beginning of wisdom, but it's not its end. Like what we eventually find out about God is that there is nothing to fear in God, for he would do us no wrong. In fact, he would come to all lengths to do us right. Tomorrow, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the ultimate kind of expression of, of God coming close to us, the one who is no thing, the one who, who is but has no existence. That's a bizarre thing to say too, isn't it, right? Existence is a creaturely feature. Everything that is, God has made. But God is not those things, Right? God's something other. He's wholly other. He's completely other. And that which is completely other becomes a child. This is the mystery of the faith. right? This is, this is the very centrality of what we celebrate every week at the table. That this is God come to us. And that, again, perfect love cast out all fear. Um. You all know the C.S. Lewis's version of the, of the Christian story uh, in his children's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In Aslan, the lion is supposed to be you know, an allegory for Christ, and he gives his life for Edmund, and his sacrifice, um, he's resurrected, and his sacrifice saves Edmund and then all the children, right? It's a beautiful image. At one point, little Lucy, the youngest of the four children, asked Mrs. Beaver, if Aslan is safe, and Mrs. Beaver's like, no, he's not safe, but he's good. 
And uh, evangelicals love that statement. Oh, man, we love it. Oh, he's not safe, but he's good. He's good, but he's not safe because he's going to come. He's going he's to get you or he's going to get somebody. He is coming and he is going to get some things. And we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? The thief in the night is a holy thief. And he comes and he takes away our anxiety and our depression and our stress. He'll come and take away our disease and our dysfunction. He'll come and he'll take all those things, but he'll leave us better off. He doesn't leave us worse off. Again, as John told us, perfect love will cast out all fear. All fear will be cast out by perfect love. So while we might say of Aslan, he's not um, safe, but he is good. We can't say that of Christ. For Christ is good and Christ is safe. If there ever was one safe person, it is Jesus Christ. Like maybe there's only been one safe person. I was having a conversation a few weeks ago, and I was talking about not, not being burdened by the things around us, being controlled by circumstances, by being able to kind of experience them, take them in, but let God process them and, you know, release them. And it was suggested that that could sound a little Pollyannish and even disturbing to people. Like, that's a little too optimistic. Now, it's not that I actually live that way. <laughs> I think it is how we're called to live, and I, I think it's an ideal. I think it's an ideal that Jesus did live. And here's the thought. Maybe we wouldn't like it if somebody was that way. Well, as far as I know, we've only had one person to actually live that way, and we crucified him. <laughs> right? So that's, that's where we are, right? That's where we're coming to this statement that the love of God is useless. The reason it's useless is it is no utility. It's not a lever. It's, it's not something that can be used for something else. Like there's a very popular Christian book about, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. Do you remember that one? I read it. It seems like everybody read it. It was very popular. The Purpose Driven Life might be the way a, a person can live, but it's not the way that God lives. God does not live with some external purpose. God doesn't have some external standard that he's trying to live up to. God is that standard, right? God, God's just, just behaving out of who he is. He is pure and he is true. And anytime love becomes some kind of attempt to accomplish some other thing, then it, it fails at really being love. Because at that point, it's become coercion. It's become manipulation. It's become some means to some other end. And God's love is not a means to an end. God's love is is who God is. And there is nothing better in this world that you could receive than receiving God. And so God's love cannot be reduced to a utility. St. Augustine would say that all things can be kind of divided into those things that are useful and those things that are enjoyable. And he says, God is enjoyable, not useful. I love that. God is enjoyable, not useful. The, the Westminster Confession, some 1,500 years after Augustine, would say, what is the primary purpose of a human being? Like, what is a human being for? 
And the answer to that question is to love God and to enjoy God forever. That is exactly what Augustine meant by he's not useful, he's enjoyable. It's what Chesterton meant when Chesterton said, we have sinned and we've grown old and our father is younger than we. This is the beauty of the incarnation, the, the beauty of the birth of Christ. It's the beauty that we see in the death of Christ. It's the beauty that we see in the resurrection of the Christ. The mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so, if we are to become love, in this becoming hope, becoming peace, becoming joy, becoming love, then our becoming love will have to be in a way that cannot be kind of coerced or manipulated to some other end. If you see somebody in need, help them. Don't quiz them on what they're going to do with your help. You're not their judge. You're there to serve. If we are to be like Christ, and Christ says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, then we become servants. And it's in our servanthood, right, that we've, we become the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love for others. So may our love be as pure as the love of God, loving recklessly and, uh, and without abandon, or with abandon, <laughs> excuse me, with abandonment, letting go, <laughs> right, and just loving, and not, not trying to, to love so that this or that will happen but just being that love that we have received. I'll close with this. Um, there's this passage in John. There's various ways you might translate it. But Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And some of the translations will say it like this. They will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And, and in some ways I like that because the love there. It's not a noun, it's a verb, and I like the idea that love's a verb, except in the original text, it's not a verb, it's a noun. And I think there's a powerful idea here in the idea that love is, an, is a noun here, because Christ has said that he's given us his love. And so now that we have the love of Christ, it's having the love of Christ is how others will be able to see that we are his disciples, that we have love one for another. So it's not like you need to generate a love for even your fellow Christians. It's the love that Christ has given you that you now have. And if you actually have it, because he's given it to you, you now have it for one another. And it's that love that transforms our very hearts transforms our lives and can transform, I believe, the world. May it be. So we pray with Mary. Let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.